Yeah, it's kind of an interesting week. I've heard it's been an interesting week for other people as well. You never know. It's never convenient going to the hospital, but uh, sometimes that's how you spend your Friday night. So God is still good, though, uh, and he uses all things for our good. So praise him. I'm going to say a quick prayer for the the sermon, and then we're going to dive in. Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to talk about your word. We pray that you would speak to us. Uh, Your Holy Spirit would connect the words from these pages into our very hearts. I can't do that, God, but I know you can through me. So I pray that you would speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. I hate it when things break. Uh, Now, I know that you've all experienced this. You had something you like, and it broke. So recently, this was my iPhone. My iPhone 5 broke. Now, I saw the signs of the impending doom, like its death. It was approaching, and I knew it was going to happen because about six months ago, uh, just weird things started to happen where you would look at your phone and you're like, I, I don't think this is right. I think it should have reception. I don't think this application should suddenly just turn off. Uh, I don't think it's wrong, but, but it was. And it kept getting worse and worse. And then it didn't help that one day as I was walking outside, I threw my phone on the ground. And I broke the corner and, and, and cracked some of the gra- glass. I did not do it on purpose. But that is kind of the, 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 the last straw. And so finally, this, before this last weekend, like Friday, it just kind of turned off and never come back, came back. My phone died. And it wasn't a pleasing thing to me. Now, I was not able to get the phone fixed. I didn't try. I went and got a, a different phone. But what if... I could take that, that old, that dead iPhone 5, and I could take it to a store. So there's a store maybe in Nashua where, Nashua where you take your old iPhones, you turn it in, and they give you a brand new iPhone. Or if you're an Android user, they give you a, a brand new Android that works wonderfully. And to top it all off, they don't even charge. It's just completely free. All you have to do is ask. I know that most of you would suddenly smash your phones unintentionally, and you would be up in Nashua getting a new phone. But that's assuming something. See, that's assuming that I tell you about the store. What if I didn't tell you about the store, about this wonderful news? Because I assumed, well, you wouldn't believe me. Who, who would ever give someone, uh, kind of raise an old iPhone to life with a new one? Who would ever do that? Or maybe I'm nervous because... Well, I don't truly know all the features of my phone, so how could I adequately explain this new phone to you so I'm just not going to say anything? Well, I think when you found out about this, you wouldn't be too pleased with me because you'd be like, well, why didn't you share this really good news with me? I want to get a new phone. Now, last week, we, we had Pastor Joe from Emmanuel, our parent church, he preached, and he talked about the death of Jesus, uh, dying on the cross. And this week, we're kind of getting the epilogue to that story. We're getting, what hap- we're getting the story of what happened after the death of Jesus, and it's that he rose again. And, and uh, the, the cool thing is, is that like, uh, like you know, the story of my iPhone dying and rising, th- there's something in the story of sharing this message with others. See, not only is it an invitation to believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, 
It's an encouragement. It's an invitation to share this good news with others. In fact, God chooses people like you and me to share the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ with others. See, God chooses the least of us to be his messengers. So this is what verse 1 kind of introduces to us. So I invite you to bow your heads and kind of read along with me verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. So right away, we are introduced to two characters in this story, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. In the other Gospels, if you read them, they do tell us that there were more women uh, at the tomb, but this story kind of zeroes in on them. And and the interesting thing is, is that women in this culture were not looked well upon. They were looked down upon. They weren't treated with respect. Their, their witness, their testimony wasn't held in high regard. See, those who culture considers inferior, God often uses to be his messengers. Now, women followed Jesus all throughout his ministry. Uh, maybe you'll recognize some of these names. Mary Magdalene. You have Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. Uh, Salome, Joanna, Susanna, Martha, and the mother of James and John, two of uh, disciples. So these are all sorts of women that Jesus interacted with. Whether in groups as he, as he went along, they would have followed in a group. Or individually, he interacted with them. We see uh, in John chapter 4, you can read the story of the woman at the well, where Jesus met one-on-one with a woman uh, who uh, had a bad reputation for sleeping around. And he wasn't afraid to meet with her and to, uh, uh, to, to speak with her individually. See, Jesus held women in high regard. And God holds uh, those that the rest of society looks down upon in high regard as well. But he likes to use people like you and me. Now, Roman law actually said that uh, it, it limited how much trust could be placed in a woman's testimony in a court of law. And the reasons for this was uh, they just didn't believe a woman's speech. They figured it was too like emotional. It was things that we would consider silly today. <laughs> But in, in that time, you know, you wanted a, a man, and you wanted the man to be the witness, because it was considered a reliable testimony. So we actually see, as we're going to read through the story, we're going to see that the women become the first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. But notice, if we were to read verses 11 through 15, so we're not going to get to those today, but it's actually, it's actually the witnesses that the culture puts forth. And who is it? It's the, it's the soldiers. It's the male soldiers. It's the guards where they go and they fabricate a different story saying that the disciples came and stole the body of Jesus. See, that is who the, the society trusted of its day. But God uses the, the weakest of us, the, the least of us, those that others look down upon to be his messengers. And if you were to make up a religion, Well, you certainly wouldn't do it this way. You would say that the soldiers saw uh, Jesus and you saw the the resurrection. And it would be this very, um, you know, well, I know that this will work in this culture. But God has different plans. God has different intentions. And if you know the rest of the story of Christianity, uh, uh, Christianity starts really uh, kind of in Jerusalem as Jesus rises and, uh, and the disciples, the apostles go out and they share the message with the whole ancient world. Remember there were 11 male disciples, 
And where are they right now? They're hiding in Jerusalem. This is incredibly embarrassing for those early church leaders who became, you know, authors uh, and, and, um, and leaders in the church. It's embarrassing. It's shameful. And so that's another reason that we know that this testimony, this account, it just it has the ring of truth uh, because they wouldn't make it up. The authors wouldn't do that. God chooses to use the weakest and the most unexpected of us to do his will. And this is one of the reasons, uh, I'm, not, I'm not thinking of you in particularly, Vitaly, but this is one of the reasons anyone can share their faith story at Cornerstone. Because we all have God interacting in our lives and pulling us out of the sin we were in to, to know and to love Jesus. God can use anyone, and Andy was right. We've had all sorts of different people share their testimonies, their faith stories, and we had two wonderful uh, faith stories last week that if you missed, you can find online. So you don't have to be a professional to talk about Jesus. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't even have to be like a worship leader. As long as you know Jesus, you can talk about him. He uses the least of us to serve him, to love him. And this is a powerful message that we share. See, the message, we're going to get into the, what the, kind of the heart of the message is a little bit later. But we are weak messengers carrying a big message. We're, I think of Atlas, Atlas Shrugged. We're not like the big, bulky, uh, you know, all-star Christians We're weak and we're fragile, but we have a huge message. We have a powerful message that God is giving to us to share with others. See, God's message shakes us with its power, and it tests our belief. Verses 2 through 4 say this. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. See, the angel in this moment, as he comes down from heaven, is actually demonstrating the authority, the very power of God that is contained in the message he is about to give the the women at the tomb and pass along to the male disciples. And this this scene, actually, as Jesus rises, it reminds us of a different scene that happened uh, that we would, in the kind of the traditional church calendar, celebrate this Friday, but as kind of Good Friday, where Jesus died. You remember what happened when Jesus died? Well, if you haven't read it recently, uh, there was darkness over the land, and then about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus died, and the temple curtain was torn from top to bottom. And then it says that the, the whole earth shook, rocks split open, and the tombs broke open. That's in Matthew chapter 27. And it's like we're encountering the great reversal See, when, when Jesus died, the earth shook, but when Jesus rose, it shakes again. There's power in the resurrection. There's power in Jesus living. And so what happens after the angel rolls away the tombstone? He, he sits on it. Now, in our culture, we don't really have tombs. You can see a little picture of one on the screen. Um, I, I went to, to Europe recently, and they have like... Um, 
kind of great marble slabs that you can move off, and then it's like a, you know, 10, 15 shoot down, and you can stack multiple coffins. And that's more like what a tomb is. So when you go to a graveyard, uh, you'll see not tombstones, even though we might call them tombstones, you'll see more like gravestones or headstones. You know, but they're all, no matter if they're small or big, they're all symbols of death. Maybe some of you have seen uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I hear they're making a new one. I'm personally kind of excited about that. Uh, but in the Last Crusade, he search for, searches for one of the crusaders, and and he finds him like in the in this crypt underneath uh, the library in this coffin, this casket. And Indiana Jones just kind of flexes and pushes the casket cover off. And I know he's strong. I know he's amazing, uh, but I don't think he's that amazing because it would have weighed a lot. It's not meant to be moved. And the tomb cover is the exact same way. It's a symbol of death itself, that that when you die, the door shuts, and there's no coming back. But notice what what the angel does. Comes down, and he sits on the tombstone. I love that. The angel, an angel of God, kind of dishonors the tombstone saying death has been conquered by God himself. Isn't that beautiful? It's kind of ironic and funny as well. Now, the angel, if you were to recruit a messenger, like the angel is who you would want. It says his, his, his clothes shine like lightning. Lightning was like this powerful symbol of judgment in the ancient culture. And uh, it, had, uh, it was shining bright and white, like in this heavenly glow that we see in the book of Revelation. We see that same language used to describe God's power. This is the type of messenger you want. Angel actually means messenger. If you want people to take you seriously, you send one of these. But the, the, the angel is just there for the woman. He just has a message to give to the woman that's saying, no, I'm not going to be the messenger of God. You're going to be the messenger of God. You, and even though culture looks down upon you, and you're weak, and you're not divine, you're going to be the people that God uses to take his message to others, to his disciples. If you ever look through a magnifying glass, it kind of, it, it makes everything bigger. It, it magnifies like, a, like a, a small bug or a piece of grass, and you can get a better view of it. See, God uses people like you and me to be his messengers so that he can magnify himself so that we get a better picture of God because when we do something amazing, we're like, well, that's obviously not us. That's God working through us in his power. We magnify his power through our weakness, just like Andy was talking about. Now, people respond differently to the message that God is, uh, that the angels is about to give to the women. But first, we see how the Roman soldiers respond to the message. See, the power of God's message incapacitates the soldiers with fear. They are absolutely incapacitated. Now, notice the soldier's job was to guard a dead body. You wouldn't think that would be too hard. They probably laughed about it. And it says that when the angel came down, they became like dead bodies. They became like corpses, those who were supposed to guard the corpse. Again, it's kind of ironic. Why is that? Well, it's because they're not 
believers because they didn't trust in Jesus. They didn't believe in the message. We know this because of how they follow up the story by going uh, to the temple uh, and, and taking a payout and, cre- and spreading false rumors. This is how we know that they're not true believers in Jesus. See, to, to see an angel come down from heaven and still choose to reject the message, wow, that is, that is something else. Maybe you think, uh, maybe you're not a believer, you don't trust in Jesus yet, you're here, you're, you're interested, you're listening, uh, and you think, well, if I could see a miracle or if I could see like an angel or God himself do something crazy, I would believe. I'd, re- I'd turn from all my sins and I would follow Jesus. Well, actually, that's not true. Because if you're not going to do it now, you're never going to do it. And we see this in the story of the guards. They saw an angel and they did not believe because their fear If there was some belief, their fear overshadowed their belief. We can become incapacitated by fear. What will happen if I trust Jesus? What will happen if I obey him? When our fear overshadows our belief, we become like these useless soldiers, and that that leads towards disobedience, not obedience. See, God's message, it shakes us with its power, and it tests us in our belief. Are we going to follow Jesus and obey? Or are we going to do it differently, our own way? So what is this message I've been referring to in this story? What is this, 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 this kind of letter, this, this big idea that God wants us to know, that God sent through an angel to these women? It is this. It's fear not, Jesus is risen, go and tell. Fear not, Jesus is risen, go and tell. Verses 5 through 7 kind of get at this. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. Fear not, Jesus is risen. Go and tell. This is the heart of the Easter message. Fear not. Verse 5 really talks about this when the angel says to them, do not be afraid. Now notice, unlike the guards, The angel does say to the woman, don't be afraid. The angel does not say to the non-believing guards, don't be afraid. They don't have that joy. Instead, he says it to the, the women, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. So why is that? What expresses their belief? Well, it's their presence. It's their presence at the tomb. See, it says, uh, verse 1 kind of says, it's a, they went to look at the tomb. But then if you, see, if, you, if you focus in on what the angel says, the angel says, uh, you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. Now, the text does not outright say it, but I think it hints at the idea that they were actually looking for Jesus, not just his body, maybe, maybe they were. Now, if you look at parallel accounts in Mark 16 and Luke 24, it does say they were going to anoint Jesus' body. But I think it's not completely unreasonable to think that maybe they were, there was also this curious aspect in their hearts that maybe Jesus is alive. Now, where would they have gotten that from? It's because earlier in his ministry, Jesus actually said, I will rise again. I will die, and then on the third day, I will rise again. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 says, and this is Jesus talking, it says, He must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. 
In our introduction to Jesus class, we read through the Gospel of Mark, and there are multiple times in the Gospel of Mark as well where Jesus says, I died, I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. This is my purpose. This is the kind of king I am. See, the women don't need to be afraid because they believe. They, 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 something in them brings them to that tomb. Maybe it's just love for Jesus, but maybe there's this small glimmer of faith. Fear not. That is the first part of the message. Part two is Jesus is risen. Verse six says, uh, it was when the angel gives the message, it says, he is not here, he is risen, just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. See, the angel's message is that Jesus is alive and he's gone. He's no longer in the tomb. Now notice, when the angel rolls back the stone, Jesus does not pop out. He is not in there. He, he is gone. This means that, yes, he has risen, so the, the, the clothes are, are, are empty, the, the, the burial clothes are empty. But he also, he's, he's risen to like a new, uh, a new and better body. It's the same body. So like with my cell phone, if you had, it would be kind of a better cell phone, but uh, a new number. Um, he's he's ridden, risen to a body, or the same number, sorry. Uh, it'd be a new cell phone, same number. Uh, and Jesus has a, this, the same essence of who he is, but it's a glorified body. That means he can, we see him in other places in the gospel where he disappears, he appears, uh, he goes through walls or uh, and he, at the same time, he eats, and he talks with people, and he is present. People can touch him, and we're going to focus on that a little bit more later. Yeah, so it's like if my iPhone 5 came back as like an iPhone 1000 that had uh, same phone but better features. You know, you can use the flash to like microwave your meal. Uh, you can use it as like a, t- a personal teleportation device from point A to point B. No longer do you need cars. Same kind of idea. Now, the resurrection is really good news, and it's really important to Christianity. It's, it's, it's like the central hinge that if Jesus did not rise from the grave, everything about Christianity is a waste of time. Uh, it's pointless, uh, because if Christ rose, it proves his teachings are true. Everything he said about the scriptures, about himself, that he is God, Everything is true because he's, he's proven it by rising again from the grave. No one else has ever done that. It's like a resume. The best thing you can put on your resume is, I rose from the dead. There's nothing higher than that. Now, if Jesus came back from the dead, it proves he is God. Uh, but it also proves that Christians will one day rise as well. See, this matters for you and me personally. If Christ rose, Christians rise. And this is really good news because all of us have had someone in our lives who has died. Now, uh, most of us, our first experience with death will probably be like our great-grandparents or our grandparents. It's the first kind of funerals that I went to. Now, my, my grandfathers, I was so young, I don't remember their funerals, so I'm not even sure exactly when they died, but I was around for both of my grandmother's funerals. My grandmother, uh, Marjorie, Marjorie Romig, on my dad's side, uh, she, she had, I think, pneumonia, and she died in Boulder, Colorado. And we went to the funeral, of course, and 
uh, my, my parents actually had her body cremated. I was kind of weirded out by that as a young, a young boy. Um, but they, you know, they put it in an urn, and then they buried the urn in the grounds, and there was a small gravestone. So it takes up a lot less space than your regular casket. And since that day, I have never been back to that cemetery. I've never been back to that graveyard. And one of the reasons for that, I think as I was leaving, I remember having this conversation. I don't remember the exact context. But I asked my dad, you know, are we, are we going to go back and visit? And he said, well, no, because that's not her. She's not there anymore. Her spirit is gone. And she expressed faith in Jesus, so she went to be with Jesus. But I think there actually is something to our bodies that is a part of who you and I are. That when we die and when our bodies are laid in the ground, yes, our spirit goes to either heaven or hell, but our spirit is not the only thing we are. Our bodies are part of who we are. This is why the resurrection matters, because to be dead, to be separated from our bodies, is to be incomplete. One day we will return to our bodies and you will never leave your body again. This is the good news of the resurrection, that you will be who you're supposed to be in your fullness, in your flesh. That's what eternity is about, getting to enjoy all of this in kind of a a renovated, a renewed body. And I do not know if there will be teleportation. The resurrection, that we'll get new bodies, really makes sense and really hits home on weekends like this one where you cut your leg. You're just like, wow, I can't wait until that doesn't happen anymore. So next time you cut yourself, find hope in the resurrection. Fear not. Jesus is risen. Now, what's our response to that? Well, our response is go and tell. See, the angel tells the women to go and tell his disciples to go to Galilee where they're going to meet Jesus. Matthew 26, 32 is a, a time when Jesus actually told his disciples that this was the plan. So they knew the, the, the plan, but they, they weren't obeying. They weren't listening. Matthew 26, 32, it says, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. So after I've risen, I will go ahead of you. That, that assumes that they will follow him to Galilee. Galilee's like uh, 70 miles north of Jerusalem, uh, roughly in the Middle East there. Uh, so just go up on a map. He, they were supposed to, to meet Jesus in their hometown, their home region of Galilee, but instead they're hiding away in Jerusalem because they're afraid. And so the angel commands them. There's this unique aspect. He says, go urgently, go quickly, because they need to hear the good news because they're afraid. See, they need to find courage. They need to find joy as well. Fear not, Jesus is risen. Go and tell. And this is really good, good news. It means that one day, I'll get to hold my grandmother's hand again. I'll get to hug her. Maybe we'll watch Wheel of Fortune or whatever there is up there. This is good news. Go and tell. Now, in our culture... I'm going to, this is kind of applying what we're learning. In our culture, uh, most people, well, most people don't go to church. And then there's those that attend faithfully, uh, you know, whether that's every single week or a couple times a month. And then there's this other segment called C&E church attenders. So maybe you know what a C&E church attender is. It's a Christmas and Easter 
All right, a Christmas and Easter. And there is an opportunity for us as a church to go and invite. So go and invite, go and tell, and bring people who normally are more open to going to church on Christmas or on Easter. When we had our Christmas service, we had more people that weekend naturally. And this coming Saturday, we're trying to do that together as a church. There are empty spots. There's plenty of room for us to invite more people. Now, at Cornerstone, we call this a big day. So normally, if I was following the church calendar, I would preach this message next weekend on next Saturday. But I moved it up a week to Palm Sunday so that we can start a new series on Sabbath and simplicity. I'll still preach uh, the resurrection in that message, uh, but it's going to be a new series. And one of the reasons for that is because the C and E church attenders hear the same two messages every year. They hear the birth of Jesus and the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so this is an opportunity to tell them that there is more to Christianity than just those two messages. Certainly everything kind of hinges on those messages, but there's more things to learn. So it's a wonderful opportunity to invite a friend, a neighbor, a coworker to come and, and get a first message uh, on something else, and they'll probably be a little bit more open to it. I can't guarantee that they will say yes, uh, but do invite them. And uh, in our bulletins this week, there is an insert. It's your top 10 most wanted. Those are 10 people that God has put on your heart to be praying for their salvation. So this can be family members. Uh, it can be the coworkers, the friends, but it can also be, so if you don't know 10 people normally who aren't Christians, it can be the lady at Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts or Market Basket. Uh, it can be your postman, anyone that you want to see come to know Jesus. And think about inviting one of those top 10 uh, next Saturday. But I know that all of us get nervous on this because it's not all of our giftings. Although we're all called to do it, it doesn't mean like we're all naturally able to do it. And so we get nervous. And I, I think that's one of the reasons the, the angel says, go quickly. Do it fast, do it hurriedly before you lose your nerve. Now, that does not mean push the message on other people. We don't want to force anyone to come to church, but simply invite. And they say, no, that's fine. Now, maybe some of the other objections in your heart are, well, I don't know. I can't imagine inviting you know, my boss to church because he's, he or she is smarter than me, better than me, taller than me, prettier than me. But remember the message of the women they were considered culturally inferior, and God sent them to those that the culture considered superior. So here's an example of, of, uh, of, of people, of followers of Jesus, inviting their superiors to church. Well, not to church, but uh, to, to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And so it's not so far off for us to do the same thing. How about our neighborhoods? Well, remember, uh, Christianity, as we... In the fall, we talked about the Great Commission. That's the end of Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus says, go and make disciples. That is in Galilee. Jesus says, uh, gives them this message in Galilee. Galilee is their hometown. It's where uh, they grew up, where they had their businesses, where they knew everyone, and where it could get awkward if they start saying uh, crazy things about this Jesus who has risen. And so that's a reminder for us to begin in our hometowns, our home neighborhoods, inviting people to come to hear the good news about Jesus Christ. The most of all, the most, the most important reason we should invite others is that the resurrection matters for them. It matters because every single one we know has had someone in their life who has died, and they need to find hope. 
And it matters even more because one day they're going to die. And they need to have a resurrection through Christ Jesus. See, we share, go and tell. We share because we want to obey Jesus. But Jesus offers us an even greater reward for our obedience. See, Jesus not only tells us it's worth it to obey him, he tells us he is worth it. See, obedient messengers get to meet the message himself. Verses 8 through 10 say this, So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. See, the women are afraid. They've just encountered God, and maybe they're afraid to go and share this good news with others. But their joy, their joy at how wonderful the message is, overcomes their fear. It says uh, in the original language, it talks about, uh, it says they departed from the tomb with fear and great joy. It doesn't say they departed with great fear. It says they departed with great joy. And that joy is greater than their fear. And that's the motivation Their happiness that Jesus is alive. The resurrection is real. It conquers their fear. It conquers their anxiety about obeying the messenger of God, what they're called to do, as well as just encountering the angel itself. It's kind of like when, uh, if you were ever a kid and the first time you went off the diving board, what got you to jump into the deep end? Was Was it just the peer pressure? Or was it the excitement of knowing that there is something really cool about jumping off a diving board into the deep end, that the joy overcomes the fear. Maybe you're like me and it takes a couple tries, but then finally you jump in. Recapture that joy. Recapture that, that, that love for the resurrection, that love for the good news that Jesus has risen and that it matters for others. Meditate on the joy of the resurrection. Even if you approach your boss and invite your boss to church and your boss kills you, It's okay. You'll rise again. So what's the reward? It's meeting Jesus. That he is the one who makes our obedience worth it. See, in our obedience, we get to meet Jesus and we get to worship him. Notice that the women are not greeted by Jesus at the tomb. They are greeted by Jesus as they obey the angel and as they depart on their way to go go tell the disciples. See, it's through our obeying Jesus, through our obedience, that we encounter Jesus. See, you and I, we don't get to see God work from our comfort zone. We don't. We don't get to see God work from the couch. Now, we at Cornerstone have been seeing God do some amazing things. And I know that many of you have gotten out of your comfort zones. Thank you for doing that. But don't stop now. Because God is still at work, and he's inviting us to encounter him in all of his realness. Notice how Jesus greets the women, Mary and the other Mary. He says, greetings. Another way of translating that is just, hello. What what an awesome way for someone who has just risen from the grave to say hi. That's another reason we can count that this is true, because if it was made up, there would be some, like, grand statement of, uh, you know, I am alive, I am powerful. Preach it, Liam. So, they encounter, they, they encounter Jesus in all of his realness. The, the women, they come up to Jesus and they, 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 they grasp his feet. 
They, they, they clasped his feet, proving he's, he's not imaginary, he's real, he's, he's in the flesh, he's there, he's not a ghost, and they worship him. See, as the women obey Jesus, they encounter the real Jesus, which leads to worshiping Jesus. If you ever want to really have better worship of Christ, start obeying him. See, we, when we obey Jesus, it leads to knowing him, leads to deeper worship of Christ. But what, of, what about those of us who aren't like the courageous women? We're more like the fearful 11 disciples. We're more like the anxiety-ridden, fearful men. Well, Jesus can restore and use disobedient disciples. Because that's what it is. It is disobedience not to obey Jesus. But disobedient disciples get to see Jesus too. They just have to wait longer than the women. Notice how the angel refers to the 11 disciples as the disciples, and then Jesus refers to the disciples as my brothers. Now, last time Jesus saw these men, they slept on him in his greatest hour of need in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then when the soldiers came, they all ran away. And then Peter, his best friend, denied him three times. See, Jesus here is promising forgiveness. He's saying, I forgive you. I forgive you. No matter how disobedient you have been, no matter how much you have betrayed me, come and follow me. Come and meet me and sin no more. Obedient messengers get to meet the message himself. And the message is Jesus Christ. Jesus overcame the grave. And if you trust in him, well, you get to live again too because he paid for your sins on the cross and he proved that he can beat your death at his resurrection. This is wonderful news. At the end of, uh, at the, end of the message, the angel tells the women, there, there you will see him. Now, this is the message that he is, uh, the angel is giving to them to give to the disciples. There you will see him. Notice how Jesus changes it. He says, there you will see me. See, as we step out in faith, as we... As we invite, as we attempt to have conversations with others about Jesus Christ, we will see him. We will see Jesus at work in their lives. Fear not, Jesus is risen. Go and tell. The reward is seeing Jesus. There's no greater reward than that. The BBC, uh, I don't know if you've ever uh, seen like the, the British kind of television channel, they have uh, an updated version of Arthur, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes. I'm a, I like this show. It's, it's very well done. It's a modern adaptation. It's with Benedict Cumberbatch, and uh, he plays Sherlock, and then there is Martin Freeman who plays Holmes. And I, what I love about them is their chemistry. They, they, they are like the best of friends. They find each other hilarious. Sherlock kind of laughs at uh, Watson because he, he can't quite keep up, and so he's kind of the, the silly sidekick. And then uh, uh, Watson is just amazed by how brilliant and how smart Sherlock is. They are the best of friends. But in the season two finale, there's an episode called The Reichenbach Fall. And in that episode, Sherlock... Is, is confronted with a decision. He can either save himself and live and his friend will die, Watson will die, or he can cast himself off a building and Watson will live. He will save the life of his friend. And so that is what he does. He 
casts himself off the side of the building. And Watson thinks he sees him die. Uh, and it looks, there's blood and, and, and everything. And he thinks that he's died. And he's taken away on a stretcher. And he is mentally and emotionally just wrecked, torn apart. And in the final scene, Watson is at the gravestone of Sherlock. And he's talking to it. And he's saying goodbye to his best friend, And he asks for one more miracle. He says, there's just one more miracle I need from you, Sherlock. Don't be dead. And then he walks away, and the camera switches to far away, watching Watson, and it slowly shifts, and there's Sherlock, alive, watching from a distance. Now, Sherlock doesn't go and break the news to Watson, but our Jesus has broken the news to us Our Jesus has said, I am alive. The message he's giving us this afternoon is, hello, hello, you don't need to be afraid. I am alive and I, Jesus Christ, will see you soon. Now go and share the news. Fear not, Jesus is risen, go and tell. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this message. Would we obey in exactly the way that you want us to, be, to obey? Uh, thank you for the offering, Lord. Whatever people give, we're grateful for. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen.